Well, good morning, uh, everybody, and thank you all again for uh, once again allowing me the opportunity of coming before you to bring God's Word. Uh, as Pastor Bill has stated, and uh, to carry on the theme of the past two weeks, uh, we will be looking at the importance of the Great British Throne and its history, where it comes from, through God's Word. It is my contention and belief that Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II is a direct descendant of the Biblical King David. That perhaps is not that important as most royalty, particularly in Europe, could in many ways say likewise. Even those descended from now defunct royalties such as the royalty in Germany, France and Italy, etc. Intermarrying through the different royal families has ensured this to be the case. Indeed, if we remember back to last year, when His Royal Highness the Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, passed away, Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth received a touching message from the Spanish King addressed to dear Aunt Lilibet. So it just shows that there is a relation between the royal families in Europe. But if we remember back in past times, the Spanish throne is a throne that has been hostile to the British throne. Uh, I don't think the last queen in these islands called Elizabeth would have been held in the same high esteem by the monarch of the Spanish uh, throne. Uh, ironically, a Spanish monarch called Philip. But the importance of the British monarchy compared to all those others is as much to do with the institution of the monarchy, the throne, as it is to do with the person sitting upon it. When I first started attending church, there was little to no mention of the Davidic throne. And if there was, the teaching was that Jesus took David's throne to heaven with him. On first viewing, this seems plausible, right? After all, when Jesus was being crucified, there was a sign above his head on the cross which read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. So Jesus was the King of the Jews when he died when he rose again and then ascended to heaven. On first hearing this, I thought it to be correct. And who was I to argue with these eminent ministers who had been to university and studied theology? Except on closer inspection, I saw that this teaching of Jesus taking David's throne to heaven with him had a few flaws. And I have to admit, I didn't notice these flaws wholly by myself. I did have a wee push in that direction from Pastor Bill and from others. Now, one of the flaws, one of the major flaws, is that when Pilate placed that sign above the head of Jesus on the cross, he was actually doing it in a mocking gesture. There's two thoughts in this as to who he was actually mocking. One was he mocking the Lord Jesus himself? 
that he put that there to say, well, you've claimed to be the king of the Jews, you've caused all these great uh, miracles to be done, and yet I've just nailed you to the cross. Or two, was he actually mocking the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the ones who said that Jesus was not the king of the Jews, by placing that sign there? Did Pontius Pilate know who Jesus actually was? It's also stated, and it was actually on the STV News, so it must be true, that Pontius Pilate actually came from Scotland. So, I don't know, maybe that's got something to do with how Pontius Pilate saw the Lord Jesus Christ. There is also another issue. And it is found in Psalm 110, <coughs> chapter 1. It says this, Psalm 110, chapter 1. The Lord, which is God, or Jehovah, or Yahweh, said to my Lord, this is David speaking, Set you my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So this is David seeing God, the Father, speaking to his Lord, his Lord being an incarnation of Jesus Christ. So David had already seen that Jesus Christ existed. Jesus Christ was already enthroned in heaven. Approximately 1,000 years before he came to earth bodily, David, the man whose throne Jesus supposedly takes to heaven, sees the Lord Jesus Christ already enthroned in heaven at the right hand of God the Father. So Jesus did not need to take David's throne to heaven with him. As the King of Kings, which David himself acknowledges in this psalm, Jesus has an eternal earthly throne. Another flaw is that the Lord Jesus Christ never actually sat on David's throne during his time on earth. Yes, it's true that there were kings in Judea at the time, the Herods. But when, at that point, they weren't sitting on David's throne. And even if they were, Jesus never sat on that throne anyway. So Jesus was never actually enthroned on earth as a man to take a throne to heaven with him. So although the Lord Jesus Christ is indeed the King of Kings and his Lord, as David pointed out, from an earthly perspective, at least Jesus, as I said, was never enthroned in a human way upon an earthly throne. Why is it important to discuss David's throne and kingdom? After all, David was just a mortal man. So was he really that influential and important? Well, obviously, for a start, David had a great name. 
there's quite a few Davids in here at the, at the moment, so uh, we all know that that's a great name. Um, it actually means beloved, and I'm sure most of the Davids in here are well and truly beloved. Probably the real reason for the importance of David's throne and kingly line can be seen in our reading from Psalm 89, where it says in verse 27, Also I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. So the throne of David is to be the highest authority. As Bill likes to say, he is the instrument, or that throne is God's instrument of dominion upon planet Earth. That throne is to be the highest authority on the Earth, higher than the kings of the Earth. At the start of Psalm 89, in verses 3 and 4, we read the following, verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 89. I have made a covenant with my chosen. I have sworn to David my servant, your seat will I establish forever and build up your throne to all generations. Salah, and as Bill has pointed out many times, that word Salah means stop here, think in this, ponder this. This would suggest then that David's throne would be continuous upon the earth. We also read in Psalm 89, and we'll read from verse uh, 28 and 29. My mercy will I keep with him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed also will I make to endure forever and his throne as the days of heaven. His seed will I make to endure forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. So it's to endure forever. And then if we go to verses 36 and 37, his seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon and as a faithful witness in heaven. And there's that word Salah once again. From this we read that God has made a covenant, a promise to David that his seed shall always sit upon that throne. There shall always be somebody, by God's promises, to sit upon the throne of David. That throne which will always be upon the earth, as long as the sun and the moon exist. So David's throne will exist. So how could his throne have been taken away then to heaven? We also read in 2 Samuel chapter 7, 2 Samuel chapter 7, this is God speaking through Nathan the prophet to David, 2 Samuel chapter 7, reading from 
verses 12 to 17. So once again, as I say, this is the prophet Nathan speaking God's word to King David. And when your days be fulfilled, and you shall sleep with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you, which shall proceed out of your bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his mercy, I will be his father, sorry, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever. Your throne shall be established forever. According to all these words, and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak to David. Once again, a promise to David and his seed. And on three separate occasions, we read, his kingdom, his house, and his throne would be established on earth forever. It also states that mercy shall not depart as it did with Saul. So even if the seed of David messes up, as we have seen in plenty of times through biblical times and through our own experiences, there will still be somebody there to sit upon David's throne. When Saul messed up, he was taken away. But, and David messed up plenty of times himself, because of that mercy, there will always be somebody to sit upon David's throne. And David's throne is established forever. However, we do have a problem. Because in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, 2 Chronicles chapter 36, reading from verse 10 to verse 20, we read this. 2 Chronicles 36, 10 to 20. And when the year was expired, King Nebuchadnezzar sent and brought him to Babylon with the goodly vessels of the house of the Lord and made Zedekiah his brother, he was the brother of Jehoiakim, who had been the king, who had been taken away, and made Zedekiah his brother king over Judah and Jerusalem. Zedekiah was one and twenty years old when he began to reign and reigned eleven years in Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Once again, a king doing evil in the sight of the Lord. He did evil in the sight of the Lord his God and humbled himself not before Jeremiah the prophet speaking from the mouth of the Lord. And he rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar who had made him swear by God but he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart from turning to the Lord God of Israel. Moreover, all the chief of the priests and the people 
transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, raising up betimes and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his works and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. Therefore he brought upon them the king of the Chaldees, or the Babylonians, who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary and had no compassion upon young man or maiden old man or him that stooped for age he gave them all into his hand and all the vessels of the house of God great and small and the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king and of the princes all these he brought to Babylon and they burned the house of God and broke down the walls of Jerusalem and burned all the palaces thereof with fire and destroyed all the goodly vessels thereof And them that had escaped from the sword came carried he away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the king of Persia. Also in Second uh, Kings chapter twenty-five, chapter twenty-five, verse seven, we read, "And they slew the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes, and put out the eyes of Zedekiah." and bound him with fetters of brass, and carried him to Babylon. So the king, and his kingdom, and his capital, and the house of God, and his own house, had been utterly destroyed. The final named king, Zedekiah of Judah, was in chains. He was imprisoned in Babylon, and all his male heirs had been killed. That was the last thing he saw before the Babylonians plucked out his eyes, as the Bible says. So that looks pretty ominous, I would say, for the continuation of David's throne. The last king is in Babylon. He's got no male heirs. He'll die there. There isn't going to be any progenitors for his seat. However, in the reading from Second Chronicles, in chapter 36, verse 12, it says, And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God, and humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet, speaking from the mouth of the Lord. He humbled not himself before Jeremiah. This is the same Jeremiah the prophet who writes in his own book, the book of Jeremiah the prophet in chapter 33, verse 17. For thus saith the Lord, David shall never want or lack a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel. So Jeremiah is seeing, you would say here, the end of the throne, and yet he writes himself that David would never lack a man to sit upon his throne. Not even just the throne of Judah, as it was then, but the throne 
of Israel, the house of Israel, all Israel, reunited Israel. So Jeremiah sees the end of the Davidic line, it would seem. He sees how Babylon has smashed David's throne, and yet he still writes, David shall never lack a man to sit upon his throne. Given the context of what is going on with Babylon, does Jeremiah actually mean what he says? Well, in a, a sense, no. He actually means David shall never lack a man or a woman to sit upon his throne. The book of Numbers, chapter 27. Book of Numbers, chapter 27, reading from verse 1 to 10, we read this. Numbers chapter 27, verses 1 to 10. Then came the daughters of Zelophehad, the son of Hephel, the son of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, of the families of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. And these are the names of his daughters, Mala, Noah, and Hogla, and Milcah, and Tirzah. And they stood before Moses and before Eleazar the priest and before the princes and all the congregation. By the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Our father died in the wilderness, and he was not in the company of them that gathered themselves together against the Lord in the company of Korah, but died in his died in his own sin, and had no sons. Why should the name of our father be done away from among the family, because he has no son? Give to us therefore a possession among the brethren of our father. And Moses brought their cause before the Lord, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, The daughters of Zelophehad speak right. You shall surely give them a possession of an inheritance among their father's brethren, and you shall cause the inheritance of their father to pass to them. And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a man die and have no son, then you shall cause his inheritance to pass to his daughter. And if he have no daughter, then you shall give his inheritance to his brethren. And if he have no brethren, then you shall give his inheritance to his father's brethren. The sons of Zedekiah are dead, but by this principle of this reading, if no male heir is found, then the inheritance and indeed the monarchical line can continue through the king's daughters. Does the king have daughters whereby this can be a possibility? Jeremiah chapter 43 verse 6 reads this. Even men and women and children and the king's daughters. So the male heirs were dead, but the king had daughters. And as we see here in Numbers 27, that line, that inheritance can continue through the king's daughters. 
So, we read that when the Judahite survivors fled from the Babylonian purges by going into Egypt. What happened then? Well, the king's daughters travelled. They did not remain in Egypt or return to Judah or Jerusalem. They were in search of royal Judahite blood, should any remain, to continue the royal line and throne of David, to continue the mercy that God has said he has built into that throne. In Genesis chapter 38, and I won't read it all out as time precludes us from doing so, but we read that Judah, from whom the kingly line will descend, has relations unknowingly with his daughter-in-law, Tamar. She bears him twins. The one treated as the firstborn is Phares. However, his brother, Zara originally put his hand out from his mother first, whereby the midwife tied a scarlet thread or a scarlet cord around his wrist. And then he brought his hand back into his mother, and Phares then pushed his way out wholly first, before Zara. So there is always a contention as to who was first born. And remember, also the principle from Numbers, where inheritance can go through daughters, brothers, and then father's brothers, uncles, cousins, etc. Who were the brothers of the biblical kingly line? Well, ultimately it was Phares. Eh, sorry, it was Zara. My apologies. The line was from Zara and then it could transfer over to Zara. So these Zarites were called the people of the scarlet thread or also known as the people of the red hand. What happened to these Zarites? Well, they travelled knowing that they were of the sceptre tribe, but also knowing that they would have no inheritance in Israel due to the descendants of Phares. So they travelled to Europe, to the Iberian Peninsula, and then on to Ireland. No coincidence that both Iberia and Hibernia, the name for Ireland, both mean Hebrew in the Hebrew tongue. And you don't have to take my word for that. You can actually Google it, which is what I did. And that's what it comes up with. These meanings, uh, the Zarites, sorry, are known to have set up their own kingdom in Ireland, where they were the Milesian high kings of Hibernia. The daughters of the king mentioned in Jeremiah travelled to Ireland, where they married into the Milesian kingship and united the two families of Judah where the kingly line of David continued away from the persecution coming, coming on to the people in the Middle Eastern area at that time. It also kept the throne and kingly line away from the hands of the Roman Empire as Rome itself did not reach Ireland. The kingly line would transfer from Ireland to Scotland when Fergus the Great came to these shores and along with his countrymen set up the kingdom of the Dalriada on Scotland's west coast, which ultimately would become the kingly line upon the setting up of the kingdom of Scotland. When Scotland was joined together as one, this was the line of kings 
through which the kingly line would continue. Again, there is no coincidence that the royal standard for Scotland is that of the rampant red line of the tribe of Judah. Whilst Ulster Irish royalty and nobility show the red hand of Zara. Remember also in Psalm 89 it states that God has made a covenant with David. As Pastor Bill always likes to point out, covenant is, covenant is made by cutting one another's hand so that the blood pours out. Also in Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 4 we are told that the hiding of God's power is in his hand. Which hand? The red right hand. The hand of the symbol of Zara. Possibly the two most powerful symbols, certainly in these islands, make up the two royal standards which indicate the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the line of the tribe of Judah, which is shown in Scotland, and God's power within the red hand symbol of Zara, which is shown in Ulster. The two places from which the kingly line of David transferred through from David's eh, from the daughters of Zedekiah. In March 1603, King James VI of Scotland became James I of England and Ireland. In honour of this, King James himself designed the King's colours, which is also known as the Union Jack, or the Union of Jacob, as James was also known. More literally, it could be called the Reunion of Jacob. That is exactly who James thought himself to be. He thought himself to be the one reuniting the peoples of Jacob, Israel. And remember, Jeremiah stated that David would never lack anyone to sit upon the throne of Israel, not just Judah, the throne of Israel. Jacob, of course, in the Bible had his name changed to Israel, and the dispersed people of Israel made their way to these shores, just like the Zarahites did. When I say that, I mean the people of the northern tribe who were taken into captivity by the Assyrians. In 1603, 1707 and in 1801, through union of crowns and then parliaments, the people of Jacob once again became one nation, one kingdom, as many prophets such as Isaiah and Ezekiel said they would. When Samuel anoints Saul as the first king over Israel, after anointing him with oil, in chapter 10, verse 1, he brings Saul before all the tribes of Israel in verse 24, where the people exclaim, God save the king. When Solomon was crowned king, he was anointed by a priest named Zadok, and many of the kings were crowned upon the Bethel stone, which is Jacob's pillar stone from Genesis chapter 28. Now, if you've ever had the privilege of watching Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth's coronation, you may have seen it at the time or you may have seen it subsequently, uh, in June 1953, I have seen it as I have it in DVD, you will see that she is presented to the people she is anointed with oil, 
crowned upon the stone of destiny, which many believe to be the Bethel stone. And if it isn't, then why is it so important? All this happens while a piece of music called Zadok the priest is played. And afterwards, all the people proclaim, either by shouting or by singing the national anthem, God save the queen, or depending on the gender, God save the king. And remember, because of the principle of inheritance from Numbers 27, the UK, following the example of ancient Israel slash Judah, is one of the few nations to allow a female to be outright monarch. There aren't many other nations on the earth that actually allow a queen to reign and rule as the monarch. The UK, the UK is one of the few that allows that. None of this coronation ceremony is a coincidence. But it is to remind us of the British royalty's lineage from ancient Israel and Judah. I stated earlier that perhaps in many ways the person upon the throne isn't as important as the throne itself. In ancient Israel there were two thrones, the throne of northern Israel and the throne of Judah. I have no doubt, despite the enmity recorded between these two thrones, that there would have been family ties. As we stated earlier, enmity between Britain and Spain but there are still family ties between the two thrones. There would have been family ties and intermarriages at some points between these two thrones. The same stands between the European kingdoms. There has been a lot of intermarrying. And again, despite enmity, we just need to go back to the First World War, which was the, the War of the Three Cousins. But then as now, there is only one throne that stands as the highest authority on the earth. The one that Almighty God has covenanted with. The one that Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II sits upon right now. Pastor Bill read out statements last week from Paul's epistle to Timothy and Peter's first epistle where we are instructed to both pray for and honour the King or the Queen these instructions came despite possibly neither of these men necessarily knowing who that king or queen was, as he or she was not in Judea at that time, but would have been upon these islands. But if these men of God could pray for and honour a king despite the distance, then it should be easy for us as the monarch is in our midst, as our head of state. Jesus will one day sit upon the throne of David and I love his and God's sense of humour. I said earlier that Babylon believed they had smashed the line of succession for David's throne but either by the Spirit of God entering into a monarch upon that throne or when the Lord Jesus Christ sits upon it himself depending on your point of view that throne and the one sitting upon it will utterly and completely with the help of the prayers of the people of God, destroy Babylon and everything she stands for. There is so much more that could be said, and I apologise if I've overran a wee bit, but I hope this has been a blessing and an insight, and may God bless you all. Thank you.